Go with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and if you would, also find 1 Peter chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 Peter 1. We began a, a series last week that is going to last us through the month of December, so just the next couple of weeks, till we get to the 31st, and we're going to, like I said, talk about that word for the new year. But uh, there's something here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that I want us focused on, not just in church on Sundays, but all throughout the week, everywhere we go, everything we do. I want us to lock in on these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. We'll have it on the screen. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Can we say that together a couple of times? Let's say it. Go ahead. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Say it again. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One more time. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is that season of giving, gift giving, gift receiving. It's a great time. It's a great season. But as believers, we should be mindful all the time that the only reason we give to one another and have to give to one another is because God so loved us that he gave. And the gift that he gave is indescribable. And I shared with you last week how the Lord, I believe, led me in a time of prayer and said, I want you focused for an entire month on this indescribable gift. So I jumped into it and studying it and found out from other translations, other translations that say it's an unspeakable gift. One says it's an inexpressible gift. One says too wonderful for words, precious beyond words. Words cannot describe this indescribable gift. And when the Lord first, first said, I want you to spend a month on that, man, I got so excited about it until I realized it's indescribable. It's indescribable. How do you spend a month talking about something you can't talk about? Well, that means we need two things. Number one, we need some faith, right? And we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us can illuminate the Word of God because the Word of God is alive. We're not just reading dead letters. These are not just words printed on a page. The Word of God is alive. It's sharp. It's powerful but it takes the Spirit of God in you to flip the switch. You know what I mean by that? I can't turn that light on for you. You can't turn it on for you or anybody else. It's the Holy Ghost and only the Holy Spirit that can turn that light on and illuminate the Word to us. So if he wants us spending a month talking about something you can't talk about, that must mean he wants to help us see some things that apart from him, you're not going to see it. It is an indescribable gift. And this is a good gift. As a matter of fact, this word is indescribably, this gift is indescribably good. It's indescribably big. It is indescribably exactly what you need. Don't you just love getting a gift and, and it's not a total waste? You don't have to fake a thank you. Don't look at me like that. You know you've done it. Thank you. What is it? Anybody ever said that? Come on, Christmas morning. You've opened it. You looked at Oh, thank you. What is it? The, oh, 
Is that me? Let me, let me know if I need to change something. No, this, this gift is indescribably exactly what you wanted, exactly what you needed. This is an indescribable gift from God. First Peter chapter one, we looked at several of these verses last week. We focused in on verses seven through nine, but I want to take just a moment and back up and read several verses to you leading down into it. So if you'd go to first Peter one, please, and begin in verse three with me. And give me just a few moments here to just read the scriptures to you and, and let the anointing that's on the word do the talking. He says it better than I could anyway. First Peter one verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. I want you to make note of that. He has begotten us. That's a word that is used and we're all very familiar with it out of the book of John chapter three. And we'll look at that here in just a few moments, but, but you make note of it now. You remember where the scripture, Jesus himself said that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. Well, here it says he's begotten us. He has begotten us again to a living hope. We talked all about that hope last week. Hope meaning expectation, meaning what you are looking forward to what you have confidence about what is coming in the future. He says, we have been, been begotten to this living hope, this living expectation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Where is this? Reserved for you, reserved in heaven for you. This is what we spent all our time last week talking about. And if you weren't with us then, I encourage you to go back and get it. But we talked about this hope of heaven. Yes. And it's something we, as believers, we're aware of and we might mention it now and then, but we have not been living with the kind of expectation, daily expectation, this hope of heaven. You may not know all the details about your future. You may not be able to describe with great detail everything that's going to happen tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But here's what you can be confident of. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and you are a believer in him, heaven is your future. Heaven is in your future. It's real and you can be confident of it right now. Right now, I know heaven is on its way to me. I'm on its way there, on my way there. Confident, this is that living hope of what's reserved for you in heaven. Heaven. I'll remind you what the Lord said to me some years ago. He said, Jeremy, heaven's real. You're not talking enough about it. We haven't been talking enough about it. And what we've got to realize is the more we talk it, the greater that expectation grows. And it actually has the power. This is amazing to me. When we, when we talk, not just empty words, but faith-filled words, we have the ability to reach out into the future, grab a hold of what's there, and bring it into the here and now. That's amazing. This is like quantum spirituality. The ability to reach out into what is in your future, grab a hold of a piece of it, bring it into the here and now. But you got to be watchful because the same thing can happen through words of fear, words of doubt, words of worry. Jesus said, why do you worry about tomorrow? 
Tomorrow's got trouble enough of its own. What's he saying? When you worry about tomorrow, you reach out into tomorrow and bring its trouble into today. You don't want to be doing that. And hope is expectation. Hope is expectation of good. Hope is expectation of what God has promised. Did you know worry is the exact same thing in reverse? If hope is expectation of good, what's worry? That's you expecting bad. Expecting it. And people are living with this kind of expectation day and night, worried about the future. But when you do that, what you don't realize you're doing is you're reaching out into your future, grabbing a hold of trouble, and bringing it into today. You don't want to do that, do you? Let's grab a hold of what's in heaven. Let's grab a hold of some of that atmosphere and bring it into today. And he said, what's reserved for us in heaven, he said, it is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Glory to God. Verse five, he says, he's talking about you. He says, you're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. This is important. This is what we're going to talk about today. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more pre precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about your faith. He's talking about Jesus praising your faith. Because when you go through the fire and you come out on the other side still in faith, this is what praises him. This is what brings glory and honor to him. Verse eight, talking about Jesus, he said, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice. Believing you rejoice. Say it with me. Believing you rejoice. Believing you rejoice, but you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So we're talking about a gift that is indescribable. We're talking about a joy that is unspeakable, inexpressible, and how these two things are connected. When you receive the indescribable gift, with it comes this unspeakable joy. And this is one of the ways you know you've received the gift. You may not be able to articulate it. You may not be able to express all the words that, that fully describe the gift. Oh, baby, but you got some joy on the inside of you. And it is a joy inexpressible, a joy unspeakable that wells up on the inside of you. And you are full of glory because of what? This gift, this gift, this indescribable gift. And he says here that, that with believing comes this joy. And what we talked about last week were the two things connected to this joy. Number one, we see believing is connected to it. But he goes on in verse nine and says, receiving. Receiving the end of your, fa your faith, the salvation of your soul. So two things, somebody say two things. Two things connected to this inexpressible, undescribable unspeakable joy. You're believing and you're receiving. So when 
should the person of faith, the man or woman of faith, when should they be full of joy? Two times, only two times. When they're believing and when they're receiving. You know what those two times represent? All the time. All the time. The person of faith is in one of two or both of those phases, if you will, all the time. You are believing, you are receiving. And after you've received, what do you do? You keep believing. And until you receive, what do you do? You keep believing. And he's saying this joy is not relegated to when you've, just when you've received, there should be as much joy in your believing as there is in your receiving. Now, people can get excited when they receive a gift. People can get all full of joy when they receive what they've been in faith for, but you want to really bring pleasure to the heart of God? Get that same kind of joy when you're still believing to see it. Before you have physically received it, before it's tangibly in your life, you're full of joy while you believe. And this is actually how we know that you really are believing when there's joy about it. See, we've become so accustomed to just using these words and faith people have their own words. We talked about this last week. I'm believing for this. I'm believing for that. Well, I got a real bad doctor's report, but I'm just, just believing I'm healed. No, you're not. How dare you say I'm not believing? You just told us you're not. No, I said, I'm believing for my healing. You know what my question is? Where's the joy? Because if you actually believed it, there'd be some joy. Well, I'm just believing. Oh man, I'm just, just believing my needs are going to be met. And I'm just, just believing there's going to be Chris, Christmas presents under the tree. I'm just, just believing. No, whoever you're talking to, you're manipulating. Because sadness is a manipulator trying to touch somebody, pull on somebody's heartstring. Oh, I'm believing if, if the Lord leads you, brother. But we know the faith isn't real where there's no joy in it. With believing comes rejoicing. Rejoicing. So if, if you did get a bad report, if a doctor did tell you it doesn't look good, and you're going to say, I'm believing for healing, how do we know you're actually believing? Glory to God, I believe by the stripes of Jesus, I'm the heel to the Lord from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. He said it, I believe it, I'm expecting it. Hallelujah, I'm the heel to the Lord. I'm the heel to the Lord. Yeah, but I thought the doctor said, yeah, but I'm the heel to the Lord. Yeah, but I thought they told you, yeah, but the word said I'm the heel to the Lord. Do you hear some joy in this? Joy. There's joy in believing. So these two things, these two phases of life, this is when the, the, the person of faith is supposed to have some joy about them. Number one, when? When you're believing and when you're receiving. Now look at this verse again, verse nine. He said, receiving the end of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your soul. I want to talk today about the indescribable gift of salvation. Salvation for your soul. Now he goes on in verse 10, look at this with me, and we'll have this on the screen. I got quite a few scriptures for you today. Man, I'm telling you what, guys. I went before the Lord and I said, Father, it's Christmas time. 
People want time to be with their families. I don't want to preach over an hour. I want to make it succinct. I want to make it just, it just needs to be powerful and cut straight to the heart. So help me be short. And he says, great, here's a hundred scriptures. It's like, Lord, cut a preacher a break, man. I just, so I got a lot of verses for you today. I'm not saying we'll go over a hundred, but 90-ish. Um, but he does go on in verse 10 to talk about this salvation. This is an indescribable gift, this salvation. He said in verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. Talking about the prophets of old. The prophets that you could go back to the Old Testament and read their words and read the prophecies that came to them and through them. He said, this salvation, they inquired. They had questions about this. They searched carefully. These who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Let me read this to you from the New Living Translation. A little easier to understand. He said, this salvation, this indescribable gift of salvation, this was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. This is a mouthful. What's he saying? He's saying this salvation, this salvation that you and I nearly just take for granted. We talk about being saved. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Is that, who's that guy? Is he saved? Yeah, he's saved. What about her? She's saved. Oh, she's saved. We throw this word saved, salvation around quite a bit. But listen, listen to how he talks about it. He said, the prophets, he's talking about Isaiah. He, he's talking about Hosea. He's talking about Malachi. He's talking about these prophets of old, Amos, and the different ones that prophesied. He's kind of painting the picture that like while they prophesied, they're asking themselves, what is this about? trying to understand salvation. He said what they came to realize is it wasn't for them, but they were talking about a time that was yet to come. They were prophesying. Isaiah prophesied about Christ's suffering. In other words, he's prophesying it. And as he is, he's saying, what in the world is this about God? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He, uh, by his stripes, they're healed. What does that mean? What are you talking about? The chastisement needful to obtain their peace was upon him. And while he's saying that, he's going, who is that? Who, who, who is that? And who's that for? And the Spirit of God is saying through Peter here, it's for you. This salvation is for you. He say, it's so great a salvation that angels eagerly look into it. We don't find out just a whole lot about angels through Scripture. 
But on a couple of different occasions, we find out what's on their mind. Do you remember when the angels looked at each other and said, what's a man? Well, <laughs> we see this thing God made. What is that thing? And the other angel goes, I don't know, but he loves them. <laughs> he loves them. And the book of Hebrews tells us that they, the angels, he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation? The angels look into this and say, who are they and what is salvation? I don't know, but we work for them now. We're sent to minister for them, sent to minister to them. Well, what makes them so special? They're saved. This is what makes you so special. You're saved. And I can tell you sometimes that we don't fully understand what it means because of how casual we are with it. Oh, it's wonderful to be saved. Glory to God, thank God I'm saved. But listen to this word saved. And when you really begin to understand what it means, then you start realizing why this inexpressible joy comes with it. When he, when he talked there in 1 Peter about the salvation of your soul, that word soul could also be translated life. He's talking about the saving of your whole life. The word saved is the Greek word, many of you know this, sozo. It means to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to do well, to be or to make whole. So when you said I'm saved, man, you said a lot. You said a whole lot. And it's always funny to me when you, when you got people who believe that, that the church is supposed to just be preaching salvation. We don't preach that, all that healing stuff. We just preach salvation. <laughs> Not realizing you just said the exact same word. When you said be saved, you said be healed. When you said be saved, you said be protected. You, when you said be saved, you said be made whole, be complete. So when you said you need to be saved... When we preach salvation, you're saying a whole lot. You're saying we preach not just salvation, but healing and deliverance and protection and prosperity and provision and being made whole, being made whole. This is something for us to, to experience an inexpressible joy over. We're saved, church. We're saved. I just keep hearing these words over the last 24 hours. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God we're saved. Thank God we're saved. You ever seen a movie where a group of people were in trouble? They, they were all stuck in the elevator that won't grow, go. And they've been in there for hours. And then the people come and they open the door. And what do they shout? Thank God we're saved. People are in bad situations and it looks like they're going to die. Thank God we're saved. That's what I've been saying for like the last 24 hours. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. Anybody else? Thank God you're saved. Thank God we're saved. Thank God we're saved. I remember years ago, shortly after Sarah and I got married and we were youth pastoring there at my parents' church, one Wednesday night, I remember standing on the platform talking to the teenagers about some of these very things, about what it meant to be saved and how it wasn't just limited to one thing and how it wasn't just about heaven in your future, how it wasn't just about being saved from hell in eternity. It's about being saved from hell on earth. And, and I was talking to them about being saved and about being healed and about being protected. And I remember standing on the steps of our youth room sanctuary and I said to those teenagers that night, I can drive home tonight 
free from all harm, totally protected, because I'm saved. I'm saved. Well, that night, that night, some friends of ours had come to town, and we, we were going to go have dinner with them after church. So Sarah and I get in her little VW Jetta, and we leave church, and we're headed down I-35, headed south uh, towards Fort Worth. And this is probably 9, 9.30 at night after church has gotten out. And we're doing 65, 70 miles an hour down the highway. And I didn't see it till we got right up on it, but there was this chunk of metal just sitting in the road. To this day, I have no idea what it was. But there was no time to miss it. There was no time to stop or swerve. I just went right over that thing, whatever it was. And whatever it was, flew up underneath and hit the underside of our car and it hit with such force and it hit so loud and so strong, Sarah's airbags went off. We're doing 70 miles an hour down the, th down the highway. Her airbags go off, the lights in the car come on and the car starts going uh, 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 and starts coming to a stop in the middle of the highway. Thank God I was able to get over to the side. We're shocked, I'm like what in the world just happened? And as we're sitting there, my words come back to me. I can drive home tonight free from all harm, totally protected because I'm saved. And you think, well, well, why did that even happen? I'll tell you something. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not satisfied with your airbags going off. He's after your life. He's after robbing from you, destroying your life but he wasn't able to do it that night. We sat there for a minute, thank God. We said, thank you, Lord, for protecting us. We were both fine. I think Sarah had like a, maybe a little scrape across her neck from that airbag hitting her necklace. But other than that, we were fine. Car started back up. We drove to the restaurant, had dinner. <laughs> Next day, I get the car to the shop and they tell me, yeah, you know, here's the problem. We can fix it. We filed insurance and we had a $500 deductible. Now to a young married couple, that was, that was a chunk, chunk of change for us. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to let the enemy steal from me. That's 500 bucks that I'm not going to let him steal from me. And so she and I came into agreement with each other and we said, Lord, we believe we received that $500 to pay that deductible and and we're asking you for $500 to sow into somebody else. Sometimes you just got to make the devil eat it. You know what I mean? You just got to make him wish he'd never messed with you. You got to rub his face in it a little bit. You try to mess with me, oh, I'm going to get my need met and I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else. You're going to regret the day you ever put a metal chunk in the middle of the highway for me to roll over. Uh-uh. So we came into agreement and believed to be made whole. Because if we're dishing out $500, well, now something's missing. This isn't, this isn't the plan of God for us. His plan is to be made. Hey, we're saved. We are saved. So we release faith for that. All that happened on a Wednesday and a Thursday. We got to church Sunday. She and I were sitting in the front row of church. Somebody on the second row tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around. They had a check. They didn't know anything about this. A check folded and handed it to me. I didn't look at it. I just turned to Sarah and said, I know exactly what this is. $500. The deductible was paid 
And within days, the rest of that 500 came in and we were able to sow into another young girl who was believing to make car payments. Now, how did that happen? How'd that happen? We're saved. We are saved. That is salvation. Thank you, Lord. So you can see maybe our understanding of what it means to be saved hasn't quite been full enough. This is an indescribable gift. Don't turn there, but just listen to this. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. This is just moments after the man who was laid at the temple, the temple door who had been lame, he's healed and he's up running around and Peter starts preaching. And he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I like this, you ready for some boldness? Who you crucified. <laughs> That's some boldness to get up into the face of the people who just hung Jesus on the cross and start preaching and say, yeah, this Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole, whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now listen, he says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to that phrase. We must be saved. Man, he's preaching. The Spirit of God and the anointing is all over him, and he is up in the face of people who just crucified Jesus, and they're wondering how this miracle happened, and, and Peter said, I'll tell you how it happened. You ain't going to like it, but I'll tell you how it happened. Y'all remember Jesus? Just in case you forgot, he's the one you hung on the cross. He's the one you just crucified, and he's the one who God raised from the dead, and he's the one who made this man whole. He's the one that made this man walk. And he said, there is no other name under heaven, now listen, by which we must, we must be saved. Do you hear those words? We must be saved. And salvation comes only through that name of Jesus. I want you to keep that in mind. We must be saved. Jesus said, the same thing in just a little bit of a different way. Go to the book of John, please, chapter 3. You ever heard anything good out of John 3? John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. The Bible says in John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He doesn't want anybody to see him talking to him. So he came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This has always been an interesting conversation to me. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes to Jesus talking about the signs, the signs, the miracles, the wonders. And he says, we know you've got to be from God. He's talking to him about him. You and all the signs that you do 
We know you have to be from God because nobody could do what you do unless God was with him. And you notice Jesus didn't say, well, that's true. That's true. I do some pretty amazing things. <laughs> no, Jesus steers the conversation where it needs to go. This is a skill we could learn from him. Jesus is in total control of where this conversation's going. Nicodemus comes talking about signs and Jesus wants to talk about something else. What's he want to talk about? Being born again. What's that got to do with signs? He's saying, hey, unless you're born again, you don't get to see anything in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is taking this where it needs to go and he brings up being born again. But Nicodemus' response has always kind of made me laugh. Verse four, he said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, first of all, ew, no. That's my translation of it, but no. That is not what we're talking about. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now listen to verse seven. Do not marvel. Other translations say, don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. What did Peter say? We must be saved. What's Jesus saying? You must be born again. You must. This is just as relevant here and now today as it was the day Jesus said it. And now what we have in our culture and our society today is people who mock those words being born again. They scoff at the whole concept of being born again. And they use it to make light and make fun of people like us who, who claim to be born again. Oh, you're born again. You're a born again Christian. Don't take it personally. Who are they mocking? Whose words are they scoffing at? Not mine. Let them mock. Let them scoff. Let them deal with him. They're mocking him. I said they're mocking him. These are Jesus' words. What are his words? You must be born again. You must. It's the only way to see the kingdom. It's the only way to have a place in the kingdom. It's the only way to give God access to your life. You have to be born again. You have to be. Yes, but aren't there many ways to God? No. You must be born again. Yes, but don't all religions really lead to the same place? No. You must be born again. Yes, but don't we all find God in our own way? Don't we have our own truth? That may be your truth. I have my truth. Can't we all just find, I, I find God out in the wilderness. I find God uh, out on the lake. I find God on the golf course. Wrong. You must be born again. Is this a relative word for 2023? Knocking on the door of 2024, a year like never before. What's, 
What, what must we do? Has, has something changed since Jesus said this? Is there now a new way? Is there now another way? No. Still, you, you must. You must be born again. We could take a lot of time and talk about that, but just briefly here, Jesus said that to be born again is to be born of the Spirit. He said everybody's got to be born of water. That's the natural birth. That's how all of us came into this world. Every one of us born that way. But then he said you also must be born of the Spirit. Whatever's born of flesh is flesh. Whatever's born of the Spirit, or whatever's born again, that's Spirit. And here you can see why Nicodemus was struggling so much to comprehend. Because Jesus is speaking Spirit Nicodemus is hearing flesh, born again, mother's womb, if you say so. No, no, stop, stop. That's, that's not it. That's not where we're going. That's not what we're talking about. I'm speaking spirit. And if you want to understand it, you're going to have to speak spirit. And the only way for you to speak spirit is to be born of the spirit or to be born again. The original writing in the way it's translated, and I think other translations bear this out, Jesus said, you must be born from above. Born from above. Here's another thing that a lot of people say, and they're completely wrong about. Well, we're all just children of God, aren't we? We're all children of God. It, it kind of makes me laugh when I hear a politician say it. There was one politician years ago, won't call his name, but he was running for president and somebody asked him what his favorite scripture was. And he said, John 16, three. <laughs> it makes me laugh when people who very clearly, well, I shouldn't judge them, but all evidence points to they're not spending a lot of time with him. You know what I mean? And yet they want to tell you how a Christian should live and they want to tell you how a Christian should believe. Don't let unbelievers tell you how to believe. Can we, can we come into agreement on that? And they say things like, well, we're all just children of God. Is that true? I am a child of George and Terry. I am born of George and Terry. Terry might just say Terry, but we realize it took both. I am a child of George and Terry, born of them. So therefore, you can't say, well, we're all children of George and Terry. No, you're not. There's me and one other one. That's it. What makes me a child of George and Terry? I was born of them. Oh, well, we're all just children of God. No, not unless you're born of him born from above or born again. You want to be a child of God? Then you must be born again. You have to be. You must be. And if you go to the book of 1 John, let me go over just a few things before we begin to wrap this up. Hey, we're doing pretty good here. 1 John, one of the major themes of this book of 1 John is what it means to be born of God. And I want to read just a few verses to you. As a matter of fact, you don't have to turn to them. Just listen. We'll put them on the screen for you. But I want you to hear that phrase as we look at this. You must be born again. You must be born again. 
The Spirit of God gives us in the book of 1 John some character traits, some attributes of those who are born of God, who are born or reborn from above. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, look at this, it'll be on the screen, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Born of him. Listen to the uh, Amplified Classic translation. He says, if you know, perceive, and you're sure that he, Christ, is absolutely righteous, conforming to the Father's will in purpose, thought, and action, you may also know, you may also be sure that everyone who does righteously, listen, and is therefore in like manner conformed to the divine will is born or begotten of him. God. What's he saying? He's saying everybody who is mindful that God has a will for their life and that they are sold out to doing that will, to finding and following and fulfilling that will. He said, this one is born of him. Why would somebody live in pursuit of the will of God for life? Because when they were born again, there was a new nature put on the inside of them. And just like when you were born naturally, you got natural character traits. You got natural attributes from your mother and your father. And I've had people tell me, going all the way back to my childhood, they look at me and say, you must be Terry's boy. Because before I had a beard, I looked a lot like her. As a matter of fact, there were kids from her, pictures from her childhood that I saw, evidently, my mom tells the story, when I was a kid and I looked at the picture and said, oh, is that me when I was a little girl? <laughs> you can't say that in 2023 anymore. <laughs> but we look so much alike. People have told me my whole life, oh, you must be Terry's son. I get a lot of my, my character traits from my dad. You must be George's son. Our daughter, Jessie, those of you, I'm sure many of you have seen her, she is Sarah's miniature. And people who have never met us, I'm telling you strangers in the grocery store, walk up to us and say, oh my God, you look just like your mother. Yes. Talking to Jesse, you must be Sarah's daughter. Do you hear what they're saying? You must be. You have the same look. You have the same character. What's the scripture saying? When you are living in pursuit of the plan and purpose of God for your life. You know what I, you know what I say when I look at you? I say, oh, you must be born again. So I want you to hear it in those two ways. Number one, you must be born again. But then when you are born again and you're living like the word shows us here to live, you know what I say when I look at you? Oh, you must be born again. You look just like your father. You're acting just like your father. And one of the first things we see here in this book, one of the first, or this chapter of 1 John, one of the first character traits of somebody who's born again is they are sold out to the plan of God. Now that's different because most of the rest of this world is not living every day with an awareness, number one, that there is a God, number two, that he's got a plan for their lives. Whose plan are they in pursuit of? Their own. And there is no plan that will get in the way of the plan of God for your life like your own plan. 
yet this is what people are living in pursuit of all the time. Their plan, their purpose, their living, their dreams, their visions, their goals. But when you are born again and you got a new nature on the inside of you, then you want to just do what daddy wants you to do. Daddy, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I want to go where you want to go, daddy. And when you're living like that, you know what I say? You must be born again. What else? He goes on in uh, 1 John chapter 3. He said, whoever's been born of God does not practice sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Most of the rest of this world has no problem sinning. But when you're born again, have you noticed this? Your heart will let you know. When you miss it, that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. Sin is violation of light. The Bible says whatever's not of faith is of sin. And when that happens in your life and mine, we have hearts that have been born again and they'll let us know. That wasn't right. Come on, anybody else in here, you got a heart that tells you, nope, 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 nope. That wasn't right. Need to make that right. You need to make that right. Come on, go back, go back. Make that right. Leads us back to repentance. That repentance restores relationship. Your heart tells you that. And because of that, because you're born again, there's a quickness and a readiness to repent and to make it right. And even when we've missed it, I know I was talking not long ago to somebody who, who came and talked to me. He was talking about something going on in his personal life and his marriage. And he said, pastor, I missed it. I did this wrong and he called it and he named it and he wasn't trying to hide it. And he said, I did this and it was wrong and I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to do that. You know what I say to that person? You must be born again. You, you must be born again because people who aren't born again don't talk like that. They're fine with it. They're fine with sin and wherever it takes them, but not the born again. Now the born again heart knows and the born again heart has an eagerness and a desire to live holy. Thank you, Lord. A lot, a lot more we could talk about that, but these are just some of the attributes of somebody who's born again. I like this one. First John chapter four, verse seven, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is how we know you must be born again. Love. Loving the brother, your brother, your sister, loving your family. This is how we know you're born again. This is how we know, oh, you must be born again. I mean, Sarah and I have experienced this so many times. We've been out and around people, people we didn't know, people we didn't have any kind of relationship with them, but just saw something in them. And come to find out later, these are born again people. And we knew it by their love. We knew it because of the love that they carried. And when we see you and you see us and we all see each other loving in an uncommon way, you know what I say? Oh, you must be born again. Because that ain't normal to love like that. A normal love says, if you do for me, then I'll do for you. If you don't for me, then I won't for you. But agape love, the God kind of love, is the kind of love that Jesus showed. And he said, even when we were enemies, he died for us. Even when we had done nothing for him, he died for us. That's love. 
This is a love that says, even if you don't for me, I still will for you. And Jesus himself said, this is how the world will know you belong to me. And when they see us loving like that, you know what they say? Oh, you must be born again. You must be born again. And they're right. Because this is the new nature from our Father. And then in 1 John chapter 4, again, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You are of God, little children, or you're born of God, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You want to be an overcomer in this life? You must be born again. There's no other way to overcome. And when you are overcoming, and, and the testimony of your life is that you've overcome, that you've overcome sin, you've overcome sickness, you've overcome disease, you've overcome lack, and every time the enemy throws something in your way, you stand in faith and you overcome, and you overcome, and you overcome. Our pastor would always say it like this, if you're going to be an overcomer, then you've got to come over something. And every time you overcome, you know what the testimony is? People around you, your family, we look at you and you say, oh, you must be born again. Only born again people overcome like that because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Chapter five, verse four, he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is how we're born again. Thank you, Lord. Stand on your feet with me. Musicians, you guys, come on up. Thank you, Lord. He said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That's not everybody. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. You must be born again. You must be. Not everybody believes that. You got some that believe he's a good teacher. Some believe he's a prophet, had some good things to say. Not everybody believes he's the Son of God. Do you? Yes. Then you must be born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For he says... In an acceptable time, I've heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There are one of two people in this room today or watching online. Those who have been born again, or those who still need to be. And I told you, church, this entire month, we're going to throw out this net. And we're going to open this altar to anybody who needs to give their heart to the Lord. So let's do this together. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. The Bible is very clear about this. It says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you would believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he said, you will be saved. This is how you're saved. And some people hear that and think, that's just too simple. But it is simple. The gospel is simple. All he's required of you to be saved 
is that you believe in your heart that Jesus has risen from the dead and that you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you can be saved. You can be saved from hell in eternity. You can be saved from hell on earth. You can drive home today free from all harm, totally protected because you're saved. Saved, protected, made whole, healed. And if you desire that, then I just say to you, you must be born again. There's no other way. There's no other way. It's not through doing good works. It's not through trying to earn something from God. You must be born again. You must be. So altar ministers come to the front. If there's anybody in here today that's never been born again, that scripture said today is the day of salvation. Don't leave here today without being saved. Don't leave here today without being born from above. We're not all children of God. Only those who are born of him are his children. Is there anybody in here this morning that would raise a hand and say, I'm ready to be born again? Anybody at all that would raise a hand and say, I'm ready to give my heart to the Lord? Praise you, Lord. Well, we don't know who all is in the room. We don't know who all is watching. So let's say this out loud together. Let's say this, church. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is my Lord. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm protected. I'm preserved. I'm kept. I'm made whole because I'm saved. Because I'm saved. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Father, we receive your gracious, indescribable gift of salvation. What a gift it is. And if there's anybody watching online right now, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you pray that prayer we just prayed, and you are saved. You're saved. You think that's so simple? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no paperwork, nothing. He's looking for your faith. And what saved you, the faith in your heart and the confession of your mouth, is the same thing that you and I can live by every single day of our lives. We can be saved today by the confession of our mouth. I confess that the children of Legacy Church live out the full numbers of their days in life, in health, in peace. They're saved. I, I, I make a bold declaration of faith over this church that you are prospering in every area of your life, spirit, soul, and body. I declare over you that because you're saved, every need you have is met. Every bill you have is paid. Every debt you have is wiped out. And you're a blessing to the people around you because you're saved. You're saved. And church, I'm standing here to remind you today that because you're saved, heaven is in your future. Heaven is your destiny. It's the plan of God for your life because you're saved. Hallelujah. Anybody else thankful to be saved? Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Lord. Born again.
born again. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.